Are you fed up with printing exercise programmes? Or horror, drawing them? Solve every exercise prescription issue you can think of using Rehab My Patient. Thousands of pictures and videos of every movement you can dream up. Send by email or WhatsApp, translate into different languages at the click of a button. Don't take our word for it. Sign up for a three-month free trial now. Just go to rehabmypatient.com forward slash physiomatters. Nicola Graham, welcome to Chewing It Over. Is MSK Care low value? Well, Jack, what a wide question, because I'm not sure we even know what value is in MSK Care yet. Um, as a as a, um, an ex kind of physiotherapist for 15 years, my natural response would be no. But I think there's some work for us to do to to prove that, demonstrate that and um, publicize it wider going forward. So we need to define it. And then we also need to justify if we feel it is high value, then we need to explain why and what we mean by that then. Yeah, because value is what someone perceives it to be. And that's the, I suppose, the challenge that we've always going to have in a service human related industry is that it's going to mean something different to every individual and their bespoke health needs or personalized health journey that they're going on at that time related to kind of injury, health, illness, surgery. Um, so yeah, understanding that what do what do the people we interact with, the services we provide with, what do they value? And then what does the evidence base associated with that provide and see how we can marry that up together. Brilliant. Right. So you were on Joe Turner's You Matter podcast with Helen Preston recently. And as often happens with the You Matter podcast, I got guest envy. There were questions that I wanted to ask you and Helen and even Joe um, in that conversation that I didn't get a chance to. And I was sort of shouting at the TV screen. And so uh, kindly, you, you've come on to my show to, to answer some of my questions and to riff on some of those themes. One of these was that what we've just talked about in terms of, of, of value. But one of the things that really came up in that conversation is how it had emerged for you with regards to your career could you just give us a quick potted history of your background and, and introduce yourself for the listeners if they don't know you already yeah thanks Jack and I really appreciate being invited on um so I as I say I started um I graduated as a phys physiotherapist in 2005 did my band five rotations in the NHS then went to New Zealand to do um more into MSK care there but in um orthopedics A&E short stay unit fracture clinics though that kind of area um, and then when I came back, I had decided to um, focus more into MSK care. I went off to do the um, MACP Masters at Birmingham and started working into independent practice as well as sport. Um, and then I was uh, fortunate enough to move to Oxford and at the interview that I went for for a physiotherapist um, at the Oxford Physiotherapy Service, the lady told me that she was um, looking for a management buyout at some point. And that kind of sparked my interest. My dad had owned his own companies. And um, I'd also, um, I'd really appreciated an in independent practice, the autonomy, the ability to practice in different ways, to trial different things with patients, um, possibly that I was less restrained within NHS and larger organization bureaucracy. Um, and so it was, it was a, a challenge. I hadn't done business studies even at kind of GCSE level so I was really quite out of my depth but I was happy to give it a go see how it goes how hard how hard could it be and I'd been working there for a couple of years and but three years later we finally came to a decision and um, I managed to 
yeah, do a management buyout with a couple of other people at that time and an investor. And so we bought the Oxford Physio Service and we set up a, a strength and conditioning facility and the other side of Oxford at the same time within a year. And, and loads of people had told me before, like having business partners is like marriage. And so make sure you pick the right ones. Well, I didn't. And so within a year, we'd all split up um, and I carried on management of tops, um, built it over the years. I stopped clinical practice in 2017 in my maternity leaves, um, and that really then made me focus on what what am I what am I enjoying the most? Where can I add the most value to the team? And that's where it came to the kind of the commercial business side. So I chose to do the gold. I applied and was successful to join the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Course, which is like a fully funded mini MBA with Aston Business School and Sayed Business School, an amazing network and alumni events. And then I did a full MBA. Um, in COVID. So I just finished that last month. Um, and in that time, yeah, just uh, grew tops, not like we're still a micro business in the kind of grand scheme of things, but I grew over a few different locations. And I suppose in that time, especially these last 10 years of owning the business, made a lot of mistakes, some wins, and lots of experiences. Yeah, brilliant. I think one of the things that's been really exciting for me watching your voice emerge um, more recently, and that's been probably my attention that's made it more recent than anything, but to just a few ways in which me and you have intersected via MSKPN, as well as just observing some of your writings on, on LinkedIn, is that there's lots of people have been thinking within our shared networks on in this direction, but few are being uh, you're, you're, you strike me as someone that's screaming out, like, why aren't we talking more about this? Like in some broader, more entrepreneurial meets philosophical concepts of where, why are we not defining terms? Why are we not offering some of the leadership that's required to actually say what it is that we're aspiring to be? What defines us? That sort of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's music to my ears in lots of ways. I'm really thankful that you're doing it and you're doing it well, but it just seemed smart for us to sort of, I'd love to interrogate some of those things and, and see in case there is, because there seems to be an awful lot of agreement between us, um, partly in that, where even if it's rough and ready, I don't mind. I, lo I love the fact that you're wanting to think in that direction, but there may well be things that we could pass. A couple of things that came up in the Umata interview that, that interested me, and I'll share just my reflection as to why it felt that there were maybe a contrast between us, is that, I think that you you described a, a, a willingness to 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 grow to sell, and that you wouldn't mind necessarily if that was to then fold under something larger that would then um, that, that didn't feel like that much of a risk to you. I feel like and 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 I've I've put my money where my mouth is there and, and turned folk down before, where I feel like there would be a compromise to what it is to, that we've that we've built at Choose Health and, and its wider associated brands that would only get watered down if molded into, into something more. Um, off air, we've just clarified a little bit of that, is that some of my fears were over that being, regardless of size and identity, that that wouldn't matter to you. Like it was almost that there is a, uh, what, what I couldn't couldn't reconcile was the, the thing you hold dear about valuing really clearly, deeply caring about MSK. I was like, well, that she's behaving like a mercenary with regards to where she'd sell it. So um, can you just help me understand, like you just did off air, as to what you meant by that and where the line is then as to what, say, size would be, a, a, what what meets a conglomerate compared to a corporate or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, I think there's some real, I think there's lots of kind of different points to this, really. If we, if we, if you purely take it from like a financial kind of business perspective, most of us, if we're trying to sell 
a physio business, an MSK business, you're selling majority is goodwill. It's intangible. It's it's the going kind of concern of the business, the going revenue. Um, we don't have large contracts with the NHS or different providers where it's a lot of local knowledge uh, and, and relationships that have been built up over time. At the end of the day, no one is going to... Um, no one is going to pay you 100% upfront for that. And therefore, you would potentially, if you do go to sell a business, and these are kind of side facts, but I think what is important is what I'm getting at is that if you ever want to sell your business, there's a realization of what the value of that is, which I think is kind of admirable to try to achieve. But also, you have to really think carefully about who you would want your business to. And, and really, what we're talking about is sustainability of business is the way I view it. If I... I am my biggest risk to my business. If I drop dead tomorrow, basically that business, yes, someone could take it on, but there's so much internal knowledge to me. And that's actually a risk to the sustainability of our small MSK kind of cottage style businesses. And I suppose that's what I'm trying to protect. So it's not about me selling to the devil and larger kind of corporate networks um, that I think don't treat the staff well, don't pay the staff well, um, potentially don't provide what I would like physio to be thought of in the wider PR public domain. Um, it's more around I'm a risk to my business if it's all related to me operationally and managerial. And so how do I protect that? How do I protect my business has been going for 40 years next year and I want it to go for another 40 years and have that element of kind of small business cultural identity, personalized care. But to do that in an ever-changing VUCA hard commercial where your costs are being driven down is really hard. I really liked what Physio First tried to do. I don't know how long, many years ago, around a cooperative kind of style. So as I say, I think we've we've got we've got this massive fragmented um, continuum of micro single clinicians working from maybe their garage or as an example to large networks. And what we haven't got is somewhere in the middle where we've got maybe kind of six up to maybe 10 clinics, but that still can retain cultural identity. Like I think I feel we're kind of scared of what big looks like. And maybe this fits into my um, kind of visionary leadership and that kind of symbolic leadership that we, we've got this like just me working on my own, that's safe to really large. I've lost all control. I don't know what that looks like. And, and we've not kind of explored what this middle ground looks like, where we could be groups with similar values, similar cultures, but working with larger buying power, um, more sustainability, more operational support. If I go on holiday, I can actually put an out of office on. I went through two maternity leaves and could not put an out of office on. So then maybe that's me. I'm my, I'm my risk and I didn't set that up in place, but I didn't know how to. There was no model to what that looks like. No, no other business leaders that I could go, look, and for me personally, you're female, you've gone on maternity leave, your business is at roughly the kind of same size as me. How did you manage that? So so I think we just haven't got that. And when I talk about consolidating, it's not about a monopoly at one end. It's around just some level of kind of inter interim growth that gives us, gives us some strength to thrive in an ever-changing, quite, quite demanding world. Yeah, what's what's interesting is, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you're 
you are describing something that's beyond, say, an MSKPN style collaborative network, though, aren't you? You're talking about it being, is there a version of that at a smaller scale that can become a unified corporate, the corporate's the wrong word, commercial entity? <clears throat> and that's what's interesting, because I don't disagree, but I think that we kind of, I understand the, the skepticism. I don't necessarily think it's all fear of large. I think it's that people are just observing that, efficiency in our industry looks like homogeneity and inevitably feels like it leads to poor value lower value care in which because we all kind of intrinsically know how easy it is and how completely unregulated it is for us to just provide that these really simple shortcuts now we we also hopefully have confidence in the market and the reason that it's low quality is because eventually the market would find it out but it would find it out late like these are these are peers and contemporaries that are delivering poor services, sometimes for decent money, for a short period of time, just burning through a community because they don't know. We've not got a really well-educated populace that understand necessarily where our quality comes from or how sustained those effects could be. And so we do have people sort of just narrowly uh, giving what is essentially palliative care in some ways, just, just administering things to people, not engaging them in the things that you and I care deeply about in terms of the intersection with public health and the way in which we might actually change people's lives for the better. And and that's where I fear that the nervousness of scale, I think the, the, on one hand, I think you're right, but I think there's an obvious ceiling where that comes in. And I think the fear of that ceiling is because every time we've ever heard anyone making all the pleasant noises, it ends up looking an awful lot like everything that we're critical of. So I just wondered if yeah. you found a better way to square that circle than I have, because I fear that, you know, that's that's why that nervousness kind of creeps into me, I'll admit. Yeah, yeah. Uh... No, and I don't think any of us have kind of solved it yet, but I'm I'm not sure. So let, let's pick a couple of bits there. Why did I become involved in MSKPN? I, it, it creates a network. Like at the end of the day, it, like your network may be bigger because of the um, the media side and the, and, and the um, projects that you're involved with. But mine is a small business owner um, who has certain hours I can work um, because of like family commitments. Um, and I'm not working clinically, kind of seeing patients and having that interaction. Um, it's lonely. It's really, really lonely. Hence why I wanted to do the Goldman Sachs. Hence why I wanted to do the MBA. But also for me, and and this may have been my naivety that I was in a bit of a, a silo um, of my own making in Oxford. It, it, it was about getting out into bigger geographical areas. What are you doing over there? What can I learn about that? How can I have? So I was just... I get my energy and I get my ideas and I get my creativity from talking to people. Um, and and it, and yes, you can get that to a degree on social media or podcasts or things, but as you were saying about kind of um, <laughs> like guest envy, you wanna ask the question you wanna ask and you want the answer like that, yeah, that yeah. is really related to you, not just an, in a kind of a general format. Um, mm. And so that, I, but the other thing that MSKPN has done and I, get a lot of um, value as a business is, is just the commercial buying power. So we can go to people and say, look, we have 40 plus organizations and, and we use your products. What can you offer us? So, so there's some real kind of commercial benefits to that because negotiating, well, negotiation is not something that, it's a skill that we all need to learn anyway. Um, and having kids, you have to learn it kind of even more, but, um, they're not things that we have to do. We don't have to negotiate contracts. We don't have to negotiate leases. Like that's not something that you have to do in just your, it, it, and I, I, I 
I get pulled off for using the word just, and I don't mean that, in your clinical career, because why would you? That's your focus. You're providing a clinical service. But there's this whole realm of different, of different um, skill set that we're, that we're not exposed to or not taught to unless you go and kind of find it out yourself. So that's what, so there has to be a, a, a self-awareness of knowing what your weaknesses are, what are, you, what are you not strong at, and seek out the people that can advise you or help you or you can learn from. And that's what that kind of network um, does. So that's, I think, the bit about MSKPN and why. Um, the, the, the bit that you mentioned around um, fear of, and where does that tipping point come? Well, I think to me, where my head's going on that is around data and um, being able to demonstrate. So we need to come away from, oh, well, and maybe a little bit of ego of, well, of course, physio is amazing and we make everyone better. And it's like, well, <laughs> demonstrate it. Show me. Because yeah. we, we think, again, being biased um, and we know the whole kind of debates that happen over the years between physios, osteos, chiropractors, all MSK practitioners, like they've all got an amazing skill set in their own right. And they do. And and otherwise they wouldn't really like the the, sh the the what demonstrates a good business is that they're still in business. If we know within kind of four years, 70 percent of SMEs have closed their doors. I, I think that's the figure it's around. It's, it's high. So if you've got a business that's been going longer than five, 10 years, then you're doing something right anyway. Otherwise, the market will call you out. They will just not come. How much? Because because I, <clears throat> I want to believe you. I just don't know if I've got that confidence. Do you apply the same logic? Like there's a there's a woman in the Trafford Centre that, that, that makes a great living, charges more per minute than I do, <clears throat> doing palm reads. <laughs> but but that's 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 a um, that's a free market. Like that's she's not. Oh no no I'm I, no, no I'm not. And and that's the thing. I defend her right to do so. I'm just meaning that we know. I've I've, I've used a cartoonish example there, but it's a real one, and I walk past it now and again. Um, but we know that there is that side of it. There are people that do horoscopes for health and stuff, right? So the, it intersects with our world, right? And we do have where where medicine meets magic, and it's not always easy on that grey area. I suppose I heard in what you've said there, the market might correct for an externality that I just don't know if I've got the confidence of. When applied to our industry, yeah. I just don't think that cleans yeah. it up. Or is, is that her fault or is that our fault? I suppose I would always go, are we doing enough? Is there anything else we can do? Is there any other questions we can ask? Are there people we can speak to? Is there is there data we can start collecting? Is there, like, it, it's never a finished product. Business isn't sure. finished. Business is ever, it's evolution. Our, our profession is evolution. Like, times change. So, so I think we can never we can never sit there and, and say we've got it sorted because something else will get thrown at us. COVID, yeah, or whatever. As well, I don't think it's I don't think it's her fault. No, I, I think that, that, that there's a, a risk of my sort of outlandish example. But if we bring it closer to our world, in which I'm saying where sometimes magic meets medicine, it's it's our responsibility as a culture and as a set of leaders, and and what are the parameters that are appropriate within, say, professional groups as well as an industry. Yeah. to do that but this is where it gets interesting and one of the things that we, I wanted to sort of chat to you about is that when you and Helen and Joe mentioned symbolic leadership uh, music to my ears and I totally agree 
but I think that part of that would be inherently more confrontational to some of what I'm describing in terms of the woo side of the industry where alternative health starts to creep too far into it, where it becomes really difficult to police the lines between medicine and magic, that the only way to clean that up, unless we had heavy handed regulators of which I don't think any of us aspire to is soft regulation of peer to peer peer pressure, right? What it yeah. is to be. And that, as soon as we end up in that space, every time I've witnessed it across the 10, 15 years or whatever it is I've been in amongst it, in, in a relatively unique role in terms of access, you know, that uniqueness doesn't always mean that I get everything crystal clear. I think sometimes get things get filtered naturally. But I, th I think that sometimes I, I hear in that podcast and to some degree that's lessened from chatting to you a bit off air. I, I, I sense a bit of naivety as to what that means because whenever I've seen even the mildest skirmish, then, oh, can't we all just get along? We're all promoting health after all, you know? What's it really matter if we slightly disagree on these? It's a minor issue over styles of practice. I think actually the, the, the devil is in the detail there. And it doesn't mean that we have to quibble on exactly what is or isn't allowed of a button. I'm, I'm just meaning that whenever it seems to get into what might be an interesting conversation about what is or isn't okay within the parameters of what an MSK industry is and, and where is the high value stuff, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good every time I've witnessed it. And so, yeah. uh, again, um, you you mentioned off air, you're like, perhaps you've missed some of the, the things that have made me such a cynic. So I, I you know, I, I, so it, it healed me of my cynicism, Nicola. <laughs> but I, I think I, maybe I'm, the, the thing that I would probably maybe, I probably have become more vocal since I'm not working as a practitioner. And, and I'm going to, and the reason I'm going to talk about this is because, I think I can look at it more objectively in a macroeconomic picture. And right. and that's not purely about profitability of business or um, competitive advantage or something along those lines. It's more about sustainability of business. So to me, profit's important in my business. I'm not running a charity. I'm not running a social enterprise. But those are, those are choices so that I can pay myself. I can pay because I'm not generating any revenue in this business. So there has to be profit for me to manage it. It allows us to invest in new technology as it comes out. So be that Forstex or Dynamos or Simplicity data capture software or um, up, just updating the equipment so that there's a certain standard or health and safety. So, so profitability is around sustainability of a business. And that then gives you enough of a runway to innovate and try different things and experiment and get things wrong and get things right. So, so when I'm talking about that, I suppose I'm talking about that in the kind of wider business model. But that allows me to then also, because I'm probably that step away from the clinical practice, probably be a bit more objective or less I don't take it so personal. And and when we get when we get um, feedback, which every business gets negative feedback. And if you don't, I think you're lying. Um, but I, if I if we get negative feedback or we haven't met someone's expectations and and what we now have is so software where we can um, with at, at six weeks, three months, six months, they give us remote feedback if they choose to. There's an engagement piece there. But we had someone that comes for one appointment. Six weeks later, we're then getting the feedback that she had a terrible appointment. She um, actually went off then to another practitioner and got told a completely different diagnosis. And so she was very acute at the time. I think there was a, a real misdiagnosis, mis-expectations, management, everything. But if we had never got that feedback at six weeks, you could assume that patient was all better. 
that is one that is one assumption route you could go so I suppose, as I say, I'm quite happy for us to have the, and, and when I then gave the feedback to the physio, she was like devastated. And I was like, it's okay. We like, it's okay. We need negative feedback as much as we need positive feedback because that's the only way we're gonna get better. And and our, our people that we see, I'm not gonna get into the whole, are they patients, customers, clients, however you kind of want to call them in your business. Um, but we need to have that conversation with them. We need to be collecting that in way that other industries so that we can benchmark. And it's not then who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong. But it's more what can we learn together? What's working in the industry? What's working? What then is also valued by other share, uh, not shareholders, stakeholders? So, so I would love to be able to, I'm going to put this out there because I'm sure it is happening, but I would love to be able to say to someone like, Bupa and AXA and other PMIs, what do you value? What can we provide that would be valuable to your members? Because I that's the information that I don't feel. And as I say, maybe these conversations are going on, but the information just doesn't feel like it filters. And 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 as I say, maybe my naivety that I've missed out on <laughs> good seven years of these conversations, having babies and raising babies, but but, but isn't that a perfect example that I was a CSP member, I was a physio first member, and still I didn't feel like I was getting the answers to the questions yeah. that actually would have helped me along my career. And so, so I've, always, I've, I've often, uh, your point there is a really good one. I've often said to organizations that have often been going, but we've been saying that. And it's like the fact that it hasn't landed where you need it is still your responsibility. Like, especially yeah. sometimes they've been saying it to me. It's like, trust me, I've been paying attention. It's actually been my job to pay attention. And I still didn't know that you've done that. So eventually that does still become your fault. I'm glad you did it. But the fact that you, there was absolutely no marketing scheme to actually get it to the right people, including people like me that's looking, eventually, you, you know, you does you, you struggle to be sympathetic in that direction you, you're I, i'm it's really helpful for me to talk to you about this in a number of different ways but one of the things is i'm often the sort of um sunny optimist in any given room whereas with you i do feel like a bit of a grouchy cynic and so i think <laughs> to some extent i'm doing that as a bit of devil's advocacy here because yeah. all the points you've just made are really good ones and and and, and measure it and, and learning and developing from that negative feedback of which is you know exists and don't hide from it I think well, criti uh, criticality, that, isn't it, rather than negative? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think that one of the things, though, to, to again, sort of slightly push back on it is that like the doctors that are judged heavily by an individual patient for not giving them antibiotics for their cough or cold, that's one of the things that I am concerned about in MSK because of that ill-educated, through no fault of their own, demos, Right. It's just you've not necessarily got a customer base of which is then going to be able to really account for the de decision making that you're on about. So in the example you've just relayed from your own staff member on reflection of that case, it could well be that there may have been a mis misdiagnosis, but it could well have been that the first lady yours nailed it. But it was something that, unfortunately, the expectation mismanagement piece wasn't brought together. But also those expectations were unfair. Yeah. Then going elsewhere, they could have been wrong. But the nature of MSK means that enough time's passed for that to calm down. They've then whispered sweet nothings in their ear about their favoured method of practice. And it could have all been bullshit. But it's just that, unfortunately, yeah. I find that that happens as much as the other. And that we can't clean that up very easily. Uh, we can. We just don't see them once. If we only see them once, that's all we get. So it, it is our responsibility, if we've started that duty of care, to follow them up, 
to to so we, it shouldn't have been in my eyes it's a fault of our practice and our business that it shouldn't have taken six weeks for a remote email for us to have got that information and and and, and it's hard because we're busy and and the demands of it but we're we're trying to work on some a robust client journey that means that we have points of communication because it should have been that if that person hadn't booked because I, if we if we go what what does high value MSK care to me and there is a percentage yes but there's very few that actually get better in one session so so it's that challenge of well why have we only had one interaction with them because if they only take in twenty percent of what that initial consultation tells them which is what the the research shows then. And we've then not followed up to go. How are you? What's going on? I you haven't well, rebooked. She could easily have not. She could easily have not got in touch. So we know that that happens sometimes. So she could have not responded, no matter what your pathways are. She had a bad enough experience to just never want to talk to you ever again. And really, no, she did because she emailed. She no, responded no, no, she, back. She, to, she, she, did, right? she did right. But we oh, so we can stick with that. And the fact that we know that she did then get back in touch. But let that, that consultation could have been perfect. In 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 a in a, in a what is our within our clinical expertise right it was it was a correct diagnosis delivered delivered well but was unfortunately not in keeping with what they were hoping for and they've gone elsewhere and had um, again it's not in this case what i'm suggesting happened but she's yeah. had eight thorough sessions with someone i'm going to be cartoonish again for the sake of it and it's it's someone that's doing horoscopes right yeah, yeah. Tennis yeah. Elbow, right but i'm just all i'm meaning is that the nature of our problem is you'd think that well why would they even get better our patients often do just get better time yeah. passes and they've been entertained and they felt assured enough to just get on with things the specificity is one of the big things that i'm always calling out clinically so yeah. i suppose it's where i i guess i don't have as much faith in the fact that if we just measure it we can manage it because annoyingly the data can sometimes just unless the data is really tightly correlated to clinical quality of which is about you do need to get into the weeds on what best practice is for loading tendons. Like you yeah. do needing to be there. And I think that that's the thing that, that means that, you know, I get nine tenths of the way there, but I have been frust I've frustrated many. I, I think I, MSKPN have given me more of a pass on this than physio first have, but both, both organizations, like let's measure our outcomes. It's like, I'm like, yeah, but probably not as, as disruptively as you're suggesting. Simplicity is a great tool, by the way. But I'm just meaning that for those of us that might need to just do it where it's going to take a few more minutes than it would otherwise do. It's just like I don't I don't have as much faith in that data when there is such disparate practice. So I've ended yeah. up instead, you know, I'm, I'm beating the same drum for the last 10 years and still trying to. But instead, it's it's this what is best practice? Right? What is okay. raising standards in MSK? And so I love that you're in this business lane. And I suppose what I'm arguing now is that I I wonder, I think you're quite right. I think it's giving you clarity of thought to stay in that lane. But I think that if if Nicola Graham, the uh, MSK expert physio, was uh, is in there somewhere, I think that if if you looked at it that bit more thoroughly, I reckon it would probably niggle you more than it does. I don't, I don't think it's a Maybe. lack of objectivity. No, I no. think it's more that it's convenient. I think it's impact is the way I viewed it. So in my... In my treatment room, I could only impact the health of that one person that was with me at that one time. Yeah. When I owned a business, what practices, processes, standards that we run for as an organization has a larger impact on our community's health. Getting involved in bigger conversations like this, MSKPN, anything else has a larger impact. So, yes, you, 
do we know how far it will filter through? No, but the if we have enough people saying the same messages, then and, and maybe we need to not put ourselves on a pedestal that 100% of the people will get the message anyway. But if we say, actually, we were like 60% of whatever population group that we're or organizational group that we're trying to to have the same message and the same and the same north star of what we're aiming for yeah then does that help are we somewhere there like we have to like this isn't that's this isn't a be, research paper it's not a rct no, it's not no. an experiment this is real life how do you how do you how do you it's change management isn't it and that's so hard one, of the, really one hard. of the things that i find fascinating is that most things in most people's lives they can comprehend that literally everything naturally has to be a bell curve or some kind of continuum by everything being relative so in terms of how good you or i are at catching a ball throw a ball at us 100 times from the same place you do that to everyone in the world for some reason for my little experiment you're gonna naturally have because it's the nature of 100 you would probably end up with a bell curve on that instance but you say it was 100 and it was unlimited but you're gonna then have this spectrum people are going to be relatively good or bad at something I yeah. don't understand why physiotherapy in a clinical sense now, and then on a business sense, if you had an appropriate measure of, let's just say crudely what good or bad is, and which is difficult, but I'm just meaning in terms of outcomes or whatever we value, why wouldn't it therefore be in a spectrum? Whenever anyone wants to therefore talk about bad, and by that I mean relatively bad, less good than someone else. It's like, oh no, it's this homogeneity again. It's like, oh well, no, we're all we're all just and then what people are wanting to imply is that everyone's just generically competent, equally so, which just makes no sense when it, you you ask the same person that, I guess anything else in their life, they don't get it. So what I'm on about. And what I sense that you're on about in business, I'm often going on about it clinically, but I think it applies just as well in terms of operations and business, is that there is a competency line that we need to appropriately clear. And that needs to be negotiated between us. And the public conversation di dialogue such as this, and, and you, as I say, you've been, you've really moved me on this sort of stuff. I think you, the person that's doing that really well in that business space. And I think that the clarity that you're managing to, uh, to assume, I think is relevant to you seeing uh, fewer patients in, in lesser years, etc. So I'm not at all knocking that but i just think that to some extent those conversations being had simultaneously and intersecting would be good where is the competency line what do we want to aspire to what do we want to call out how do we want to measure that in such a way that then it means that people are aspiring beyond that line and yeah. that is difficult because the minute that you talk about that you are naturally pointing your finger at least subtly at those that are less than you know, yeah, but... got, there is a there is a call out there that start to make some people feel uncomfortable yeah and and I think there is, but I I, I suppose uh, I I'm, I'm not going to be controversial. Here. Well, I'm, I'm not going to be controversial. Do it. It's a Do it's it. a <laughs> it's a mindset, isn't it? I can't. I grew up with being told if I'm going to do anything, do it to your best ability. So mediocrity just didn't. It didn't mean I. Yeah, I was probably quite fortunate that actually. A's and B's did fe feature quite heavily for me, like academically, and I was head girl, and I did CC, and like all these kind of things. I had opportunities, and and I, but but that, it, what what that what that gives me is that mediocrity just doesn't exist in my, and and that's not. I'm not also because I think that's the world we live in that everything's taken so literally, and so it's like it's not. I'm not then saying that I have to be going at. Uh, 100 miles an hour all the time because I'll just burn out and I've done that I did that a few years ago so you need to 
it, it, there's something around self-awareness there's something around development there's something about going is this a job or is this a um do, do you want to so there was something recently I read the difference between empathy and apathy, which was really interesting. But being apathy being like, yeah, it's all right. And it's like, well, okay, that's fine. But then I, I don't want to be associated with that or that's not what the message is that I want. So I'd love to read that because em empathy and apathy aren't necessarily polars, are they? Because whereas enthusiasm and apathy are probably. But it, do you think just on this, and it's it probably a good place to finish because we're never going to cover everything, but, we're, you know, <laughs> hopefully we've not fallen out and we can do it again. But um, what I would be interested in is whether or not, and this would be like an optimism, pessimism thing, is do you think those that are striving to raise standards across all of our fields of interest from 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 clinical to just just say MSK generally, including the business ops stuff that you're on about, do you think that those aspiring to best practice are, are are creating a drag force, a pull effect that is working? Or do you think those that are apathetic and not bothered and hiding in, in, in all sorts of places, are they sometimes then meaning that we're ending up having a bit of a drag effect downwards? Uh, where, where's your sort of sense of where we're at as an industry at large? I'm really, I'm quite optimistic, I, but but it's probably, I'm I'm biased by the people I talk to and I'm sitting at the moment in, I, I don't talk to, but I am going to, there was something put on the MSK hub about a meeting in Abingdon in January or February time. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm bi you're biased by the network that you're with. So I'm with team members that are working for my team who was we're talking we we may practice differently but we're talking the same we, we're about prehab preventative healthcare exercise based get strong like the, the general message even if it's delivered in slightly different ways is the same i'm then part of mskpm where we're all kind of driving and doing this kind of same thing um so so I feel I need to talk to more people to understand that. And I'd quite happily, like, I tried to do some polls on LinkedIn, but I haven't got a big enough following. Like, I'm talking, like, I don't know, 1,500 people and probably 20% of those are physios, maybe. They're all from different parts of my life, different countries. Like, sure. so, so it's not a big enough to try to get that. But my, just to finish this, and, and I'm talking at Therapy Expo with MSKPN on a couple of different topics, but I'm also presenting my a poster of my dissertation that I did for my MBA, which was leadership and performance management in MSK organizations. So the SME, the small businesses, like quite a lot has been done on NHS public, but I, I don't feel we have a baseline. We don't know. Um, and it's obviously a conversation that you and I have had of like, what are the numbers in the industry? Well, I just don't think we know. So if, if independent practice, um, which Lucy at Balance Physio has got some really interesting um, stats from CSP about how many physios actually work in independent practice and it's high like 40 yeah, percent or something 30 40 percent like it's it's much higher than I thought it was going to be if if that is a um and we're purely obviously talking about physios here and I don't know across the bigger organization uh, the other MSK organizations but if that is then do we not need some research and some some questions in this space do we not need to be, be starting a research base that is focusing on SME, MSK practice, practice and organizations. What does the leadership look like? What does the operations look like? What does, so, and, and I suppose I've got to focus on that side because the clinical will, but we do have, I think, evidence base of what clinical looks like. What we're, what I feel is how we marry that into a commercial setting um, that isn't limited by, isn't limited by, 
contracts related to either NHS practice or larger networks where it's a it's a shareholder value. So if we said, look, we haven't really done the price piece, I don't think, because we haven't got what the business model looks like. So when you've then got the business model and what do the ops and the expenses look like, then you put a price to it that drives a level of profitability. But we're we're so backwards in our thinking because the pricing has been dictated to us. The pricing is this is what it is. And then we're trying to make a business model and a standard of care work from underneath where where really you would you would probably do it the other way around. You would you you would work out how many people you're going to be seeing, what your overheads are, what your rent costs, all, all of that. And then you would put the price to it because you have to cover all of that. But we can't. So <laughs> there's a real like, I, I don't feel that whole commercial piece has been completely dissected, analyzed in the industry so that we can then say, look, the baseline is um, 10 percent of your overheads has got to go. 10 percent of your income has got to go to overheads. That's just what it's going to cost roughly in in all areas or or this is what you should put to your marketing budget or this is and 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 then and I suppose this is slightly coming away from the clinical but it then allows you to know what that whole business model looks like rather than clin like we've got the clinical piece and we're trying to deliver the best value care or what that looks like and we've got so many constraints on us as to so you can't then deliver what you want to deliver you end up delivering what you may have done in the NHS and that's why you chose to leave leave the NHS <laughs> so yeah. I feel there's just a lot of work there that well, the, either the I'm not aware of question, or is the being done. The unanswered questions thing you're on about there is just absolutely fascinating. And then the answer to why have they not been answered, I think ends up being a very political thing that exists around the organisations of which are meant to represent us and, 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 and various different intersections there, of which is definitely for another day. So sorry we're out of time, but thank you so much for your time. Always brilliant to chat to you, both on and off air, and, and I learn a lot. I'm sure our listeners will too. Just point people in the direction of where you might be present on socials. Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best. I, I, I flit in and out of Instagram, but I don't love it. So yeah, LinkedIn, okay. I am very happy to chat and connect cool. and talk to people. Superb. Right, and I look we'll forward to seeing anyone on Therapy Expo if they're there because I haven't yeah, been of course, for many yeah, years. Catch up with well. Nicola and MSKPN at Therapy Expo. Um, we're not there this year, but I uh, hope everyone has a good have, has a good do. Have a drink with a, have a drink on us. Um, I I would say um, with regards to some of this, um, there's things that we can't hint at too too liberally yet because they're embargoed. But we're going to get some of Nicola's work out there soon as well, and there'll be further ways in which we can develop this conversation, uh, which is a very important one. So I thank you for your leadership already on this, but I'm excited to see where it goes because um, I definitely it's given me pause for thought and definitely where I need to put my shoulder back behind certain wheels to make sure that we don't, uh, my cynicism doesn't overwhelm. That's the, the main way to put it. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Yes, take care. Valve equipment is designed specifically with the MSK clinician in mind to help you accurately measure outcomes. Dynamometers, force plates, a really awesome force frame and more at affordable prices. These really are a necessity in any good clinic. ValveHealth.com for further information on all their devices. Or you could guess. <laughs>